Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly movie podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, not joined by Ann Thompson this week. As we said last week, she's taking a very needed rest, and she'll be back in a little bit. But Screen Talk rolls on because the movie news cycle doesn't rest even after Oscars. And uh, I'm joined once again by a regular guest co-host, Tom Brueggemann, out in our Palm Springs Bureau. Tom, how are you doing out there with your Godard poster? Uh... Bond apart and I are doing fine, although it's too hot too early this year, but uh, that goes with the territory. <laughs> well, it's so good to have you back. And there's, and there's so much we can talk about because, um, you know, over the last two years, your role as our box office reporter has been one that has evolved many times over and become much more than box office as, as we look at sort of the impact that streaming has had. But I want to start with something we didn't get into enough in last week's episode. And that was because it was overshadowed by some other things in the news cycle. The Oscar win for Coda uh, as best picture, the first time a streamer uh, won an award, came in the aftermath of a movie that really did not have a life in theaters. And so because we were so focused on the slap as it were, which we don't need to be focused on this week. We really didn't look at the significance of that moment. But I do think that from your perspective, as somebody who sort of looked at the transition from box office metrics to the streaming universe, this is a really central question. And Coda obviously has been re-released in the theaters uh, by Apple in some capacity. So what, what do you make of the significance of Coda from a business standpoint and, and what it could pretend for the future? Well, you know, it's, you know, I wrote about this last week because I was fascinated by the subject of how uh, I'm always fascinated Oscars by the political, the election aspect of it. I, I come from a background of a poli sci major in college, and uh, the Oscars always been elections to me. And I think that they played it extremely well uh, in a way that I'm not sure Netflix would have been able to do so if they had had the film. Uh, normally, you know, and again, this is sort of like taking away from my and my colleagues who write about box offices role. We usually play a role during the Oscar campaign process as a second only to the, um, you know, the, the Oscar analysts, the Mavens uh, role, because how a film does, how it's how the audience is responding to it, how a distributor plays to make it look as good as possible, whether it's getting to an unexpected five or seven million dollar gross or an unexpected three hundred million dollar gross, usually is a very key part, particularly for best picture. Uh, the, the exceptions to this are very rare. There's strong reasons when it happens. Hurt Locker didn't have that. That had been released in the summertime and was 
had been on, on, on video for months before the Oscars came along. And that was a special case of really good film that got huge critical support and, right. and was the first female director to have a legitimate shot at Best Picture. So, you know, Moonlight did very well for its its uh, uh, it, it's its content. Uh, in, I mean, it was a one and a half million dollar black gay movie, which you know yeah. was already a tough tough for the market. Yeah, so I think the fact that it did as well as it did and played, you know, during the Oscar season, elevated the film versus La La Land, whatever the other dynamics were involved in that particular year. Coda is the first film. I mean, it is it's the second film because Nomadland last year was a completely different situation, and everybody, you know, nothing. At theatrical play of particular notes, uh, although curious, that was by accident. They would have yeah, loved yeah, for that. Yeah, to be exactly. a That was expected yeah. to be a, a one-time thing. Uh, so you come back the next year, and you know, Coda makes a big splash at Sundance with its acquisition. Uh, then uh, they decide not to play other festivals, not to wait for the uh, you know if they to to be an an Oscar launched film. It would have been normally expected that they would have come back at maybe at Toronto uh, and play it then again as their next showing right before it's showing uh, on, on the streamer. They went in August and they yeah. went, they went in theaters the same day, which is one of the most interesting things is that Netflix is the bad guy for a lot of theaters. All of their potential nominated films get theatrical play right. ahead of Going to Netflix, two or right. three weeks. Uh, I mean, Netflix also bought movie theaters. So that Apple is not in yeah. that business in the slightest. Yeah, and 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 you know, from you know, I have have a rooting interest against Apple uh, doing what I do, uh, and with some sympathy for theaters because when they opened up, you know, my usual routine of, of getting information, it was, it was Apple does not have a theatrical um, distribution arm, unlike uh, uh, Netflix uh, and Amazon. Uh, they uh, they farm that out. They farm in this case. They farmed it out to Bleecker Street, uh, which curiously handled Netflix for uh, uh, years ago for for Beasts. So when 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 that went uh, 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 out theatrically for award chances, uh, but they opened up and I, I reached out to them and I reached out to to, to uh, Bleecker Street and I said, "How many theaters you playing at?" And they wouldn't tell me. It was a state secret. It was because a, they, they didn't know, have to. They didn't they, feel they, like it was relevant. No, and they didn't want reporting. Uh, and you know, these days you can go to specific theaters that have pre-sales and go through the painstaking way of, at a showtime, counting the number of seats sold and trying to. I mean, that's an incredibly difficult way to try to figure out a gross. Although you can check a little bit, but you have to find out what theaters are playing at first. Netflix will have a dedicated site. You go to when one of the films opens. You type, type, you Google. Uh, buy tickets for Power of the Dog and a Netflix website will pop up and it'll list all the theaters in the country uh, and you can go through and find out you know, count them up and, and see what it is. Yeah. Apple didn't do that. Uh, and it, they played 40 to 50 theaters, very modest grows, and I believe pretty much disappeared after one week. And so, you know, in my, my article, I'm thinking about this, I think Coda weirdly enough, benefited from that uh, because the film did not have the initial interest, did not have the initial attention. So that some years in the Oscar race, a film, you know, Academy members are human beings. They like to be 
uh, you know, and they have have egos and they have their own uh, ways of looking at things. And in, in some years, they like to be credited with discovering a film, like it's their film, right? Uh, Chariots of Fire. Of course, it, it was a film that was being campaigned to them. Of course, but... of course. But so the the, the the tricky thing here is making people think that, right? So. You know, while while Netflix is out there, you know, huge ads for Power of the Dog for its theater play, getting uh, uh, awards attention, everything else that's going on last December, they quietly sneaked the film onto the uh, Academy members viewing platform. Uh, right. And they were one, I understand they're one of the first films there. There wasn't a lot else to see. Yeah, and I'm starting to see, uh, see on social media that, you know, members, uh, you know, older male members, some some in the distribution side of the industry, other people like that. I said, wow, I just saw Coda. I'd right. never heard of this film. What I just love this Meanwhile, film. Meanwhile, all of America itself. and most of the world could also watch it on their own platform, meaning Apple TV yeah, yeah, Plus. Yeah. Yeah. And and oh the and, irony. <laughs> yeah. And, and so it's it's and then the film, you know, sometimes the Academy chooses a film as an endorsement for a type of film. That right. they think is struggling and they want to see. They, you know, when Chicago comes back, oh, it's a musical. We want to, you know, give credit to a sure. musical. Uh, when yeah, Brave Heart, into that. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like, this is, so Coda, which is, you know, uh, it, it is what it is, but it's, it's certainly a decently well made, well crafted film with a lot of hearts and uh, 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 no, you know, real wrong moves. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, a rarity these days. I'm glad. So, I'm glad you watched the movie, Tom. I know it's always a process to make sure you're not just talking about numbers and, and yeah, content. No, yeah, yeah. But... I mean, in this in this case, you know, I hadn't. I I held off on, on watching it, uh, and and I, I did because uh, I, I come across uh, availability of seeing uh, La Famille Bayer, the, the the French film on which right. it's based, which uh, unlike a lot of successful remakes of French films uh, had never seen the light of the day any place in the United States. Right. I released at national film festivals. And that to me was an interesting story apart from trying to compare how the two films were. Uh, so right. you know, once I got hold of that, obviously I, I needed to watch Oda as well. It's very important, but yeah, also good to see the best picture winner. I mean, the, and, and to see how the biggest company in the world really is so it, supporting or investing to some degree in this yeah. particular medium just to bring it back to the exhibition side for a second you know i actually was asked by a bunch of news stations around the country to be an expert voice last weekend on the will smith slap and the fallout and all that stuff everybody had the same kinds of questions cbs nbc good morning america wanted to know how is this going to affect will smith and He's got this movie in the pipeline, an Antoine Fuqua action movie called Emancipation, a slavery action movie called Emancipation. That's like a hundred and fifty million dollar production. Apple picked it up on the market last year and was planning to put it out this fall. And a lot of people wanted to know what's going to happen to this thing. But what's interesting to me, and I would love to hear what you make of this, is that you know, movie stardom in the streaming space is so fundamentally different from movie stardom as a box office proposition. So Will Smith's VOD potential seems like it would be a different kind of a challenge and one that doesn't necessarily require not releasing this movie right now as the scandal, you know, tries to blow over or whatever, whatever's going to happen there. But well, what do you think? Should Apple should Apple wait, wait on this one or should they just get it out there because people will watch a Will Smith action movie on on, on Apple TV plus? Oh, I think that's that if it were a normal anticipated theatrically released film, there'd be far more questions about its viability at this point in the timing of it. Uh, 
on the other hand, if it's a terrific film, if it's if he's really good in the film, uh, I mean that the quality of it is going to be, uh, I would think, would be a factor as well. You know, if they thought that they had a film that that you know, you're going to figure that any Will Smith film is going, this is going to be an issue coming up. So you have to you have right. to look at it and say how are how are how are the media how how are the critics going to respond to that in context. Right. And if it's a really powerful film, there's every every potential being. If it's if it's the performance he might have won for had he not won for King Richard, uh, which is very possibly uh, the, what will happen with the film. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you certainly must have much less risk. And I would think that Apple. I mean, the idea that oh, this film should be suppressed because Will Smith did something bad. Uh, I mean, I. I'm very much for separating the art from the artist. And, uh, and, and, you know, you're talking to somebody who's an actor, not the director. Uh, right. uh, it's, it's, I'd be very queasy about the idea that it shouldn't be shown or it should be delayed. Uh, and then the question is, what do they do for an Oscar campaign? You know, we'll see what the Academy does tomorrow. Right, right. Uh, exactly. You know, as, whether as they, we're recording, they, we know that they originally were going to meet up later in April to talk about additional punitive measures. Actually, when we did Screen Talk last week, Will Smith hadn't even resigned from the Academy. So we should acknowledge that that was a big you know, movement to sort of preempt the question of whether or not they were going to boot him. But they're still going to do something and they want to take some sort of disciplinary action. So maybe they ban him from winning uh, or getting nominated for future Oscars for some period of time. And that could affect uh, emancipation yeah. having a campaign. And, and maybe that would make it, you know, I mean, he's I believe he's a producer on the film. So it gets nominated for best film. I mean, the, the whole can right. of worms of keeping people free now, the Academy has done that in the past. And it's a very horrible precedent. If you were blacklisted, you couldn't be nominated. And, uh, you know, that's a different thing from an assault. But, you know, I don't think, getting, you know, then, then you get into uh, what, what are the standards going to be in the future? Uh, and, and I think, it's, it's, you know, who knows? I, I don't trust the Academy necessarily to think these things through. Um, by the way, let me throw in a very quick praise for the Academy since nobody's praising them these days. Uh-oh. It's a non-story. Yeah, bring it. The Oscars were, uh, you know, big public event. Has there been a single reported case of COVID coming out of that? Hmm. Well, no news. On we've all been a bit distracted, <laughs> but I will tell you, as somebody who attended the Oscars, I had to take two covid tests a couple of days apart. So there had better not have been, yeah. a series, uh, you know, something happening and all that question of, you know, well, the presenters don't have to get tested. Who's not vaccinated Was Will Smith not vaccinated. Seems like it was sort of a I mean, look, if you're going to have something at, on, at this scale, you had better have enough safety precautions in place to prevent this from happening. Right. Um, but, you know, the COVID is so fluid these days. I mean, maybe it was there and nobody really thought to report it because, <laughs> you know, it's just everywhere. I mean, that's yeah, just, yeah. just the way that we live now. We should we should talk about another uh, recent exhibition development, which is a, a new release, uh, because, um, you know, even as the Oscars were happening, the, the the rest of the world had other stuff to pay attention to new films that that are sort of removed from these equations that of you know whether or not this is an awards friendly title and and how do the oscars impact box ops and all that kind of stuff new movies are opening all the time and there was a successful one uh which was everything everywhere all at once but one thing that i think we should look at is 
how this movie was successful. Now, I really love the film. I know you haven't seen it yet, but what I can tell you is that it's been fascinating for me to see how um, the movie continues to have this really robust impact on that a24 contingency of uh, you know younger audiences are really excited by this film it's it's uh the immigrant chinese immigrant story as the matrix i mean it's it's so innovative in that respect everybody i talked to who's seen it wants to see it again the numbers are pretty good so what what do you make of kind of the way that a24 has managed to to knock this out of the park uh especially after securing its latest round of financing and being valued at two and a half billion dollars well, it's very impressive so far. I mean, it's a work in progress. It's expanding further to, I believe, multi-hundred theaters this Friday, although not as wide as initially was anticipated, which is sort of smart. Um, you know, no word as to when, you know, what its theatrical window is. So they may have some knowledge, but uh, the, the expectation is it's going to have a, 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 for these days, lengthy theatrical only run. Uh, you know, it's normal post-Oscars, you know, whatever time of year they fall in, for there to be a lull afterwards, uh, particularly for older adult uh, audience films, which normally get slated later in the year because they are so tied into awards. So it was a very smart move for them to, you know, step into the void. And uh, they opened up, I believe, the Oscar weekend uh, two days before uh, and expanded then last week and have had phenomenal numbers. Uh, these, the, I, I look back, I, you know, somebody sent me, you know, some specifics on the, on last weekend. They were in, uh, I think it was 28 theaters, uh, 27 in the U S one in Canada. Uh, mm-hmm. and they, they were the, they're playing some of the top commercial theaters in the country. Uh, and they were number one in 20 of the 28 theaters and theaters that normally would expect that Morbius would be the top film by a big margin. Right. Turns um, out that's not much competition. Well, it still is. It still is. You know, it, it still is impressive that to see something like that happen. The lowest gross of all of them was twenty thousand for the weekend uh, for twenty eight theaters. You know, uh, for an expanded film, specialized film to have a per theater average of twenty thousand its second week at nearly thirty theaters right. doesn't happen all that often. Right. Uh, and, you know, what's significant about it is, that, you know, it, films now are rapidly expanding more than they used to. A24, Neon, other companies that, that cater to younger, uh, uh, less prime art house crowds, to yeah. their credit and their success in doing so, um, were already, you know, moving a little bit faster in some things. Right. Uh, but, and, and then there's more speed these days because you don't know when the window's going to come along. So you want to be maximize as much of your theatrical run as possible but you've got a tricky film here uh you know yeah. from everything I've, I've i've heard about it just it hasn't opened in palm springs yet we don't have screenings out here uh uh it's it's but you know i've read up enough about it to know that this is this needed special handling and it's yeah. gotten this yeah, it's just it's a it's a weird movie to describe to people. It's it's you know all these different universes overlapping, but also it's a commentary on um, you know different filmmaking tropes. You've got Wong Kar Wai references in there, and then you've got martial arts films and science fiction, obviously. And so it needs that kind of cool factor. But it's fascinating that it's like it seems to be playing like a commercial film and not an art house film. Yeah, and it's, and it's left a lot of art. It's even well, a title that's, that's difficult to remember. Yeah, right. So, the the title is long, and the it. movie yeah. is two hours and twenty something minutes long. I mean, that's that's a 
it's a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But, but the buzz is there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and that and that's critical right now because the the specialized market and and, and if we're going to talk about we need to separate the specialized market from a distributor's at, uh, point of view and specialized market from the theater's point of view because they really as is true with uh, studio films uh, unlike what's happened in the past they're really they're bifurcated they have different interests they have different opportunities uh, yeah. they are no longer two halves of the same whole as they used to be. Uh, right. uh, you know, the specialized market from the distributor's point of view is tricky, but they're, you know, they have the fallback of uh, um, home viewing, whether it's selling, you know, like I drive my car did to HBO Max for incredible, I don't know what the amount of money was, but it's an unheard, un, un, unimaginable amount of money, you know, for a three-hour Chinese or Japanese film to uh, to have gotten. Uh, so they, they've got fallbacks when something has any degree of success. Uh, and, you know, VOD play, you know, when you're talking about the small budgets like a lot of these films have, it doesn't yeah. take a lot. If you're charging $20, right. retaining, you know, $15, $16 of that yourself, uh, if you get a half a million people purchasing that, that's a lot of money for specialized distributors. Uh, yeah. So, you know, that end of stuff, you can see why, you know, A24 has gotten refinanced why investors think it's a solid enough business to do so. Uh, what's curious about uh, everything is, you know, I look back over, you know, in the, the theaters that played the film and, and I mean, I was curious and it, 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 I think it's relevant for the discussion. The 28 theaters that played the film, 11 were AMC, six were Draft House, three Regal, uh, the Canadian run of Cineplex, only two were Landmark, and uh, uh, one was Cinemark, and then there were two New York area independents playing the film. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's almost like the art houses around the country have been left out of the equation for this movie that I'm sure they would love to have yeah, because yeah. the buzz is there, and it's an art it's an art house friendly movie at the same right, time. Right. Uh, so um, you know, the one of the things that's happened post pandemic, and it's affected. A, any type of film you want to mention, I mean, it includes Drive My Car and, and Worst Person in the World and, and Parallel Mothers and, and other films that, you know, in some cases, particularly Worst Person in the World, did better than one would have anticipated. Yeah. Uh, distributors now have access to AMC, Regal, Cinemark that they didn't used to have because mm -hmm. they were, their films tended to be the lower grossing films. And there was enough regular supply, you know, two, three in most weeks, new releases from studios. Uh, and then with the normal, you know, double, triple screening of films the first week, there just wasn't the room for them. They were low man on the totem pole. Now, all of a sudden, uh, anything uh, that has a pulse is welcomed by, by theaters because they've got screens to fill. So but do you think A24 actually would be, losing anything by booking this because i mean look at all the, the i don't want to say mom and pop but the, there are so many smaller operations all over the country from you know the major cities to you know alabama or sioux falls or whatever that you know they get a title like this and they can play it for a while and even if those grosses aren't big they they can contribute to the larger equation so the question isn't does a24 need them it's more at least for, from my perspective of would it hurt a24 to do this because it's a really important part of the ecosystem as a whole that all of these entities should be supporting right now well this is a work in progress from my 
reporting. I, I will try to see this weekend, get a list of all the theaters that are playing the film and try to get mm-hmm. a sense of what isn't playing the film. Right. Uh, I have been seeing on uh, certain specialized theater uh, chat rooms that there is some concern among some theaters that they have either aren't getting the film or are being delayed after their, their chain theater competitors are opening up this week. And, uh, and, and, you know, they've got right to every right to be concerned. You know, these theaters struggled mightily to reopen. They were helped by uh, greatly by the, uh, uh, by the government assistance that came into play. Uh, They were helped in a lot of cases that they were able to get rent deferrals or, or not have to pay rent at all. And all of a sudden they're back in business. They are not getting the subsidies. Uh, they have to pay rent, right? And Barely any money from the NEA, too. Yeah, yeah. And then there's, there's, they aren't getting the films, or that when they get the films, they're sharing them with, uh, they're sharing their grosses with other people. Yeah. Um, the overall, this of, of the markets in terms of theaters, uh, the for this year so far, uh, theaters exhibition is doing a little bit less than sixty percent of the business that it was doing. 2019, the last three month period, uh, three month plus period that's did not have COVID. That's improved, but it's still shaky. It needs to get a lot better, but they're getting by. Uh, My sense is, and I I, I actually, I had dinner last night with a a leading specialized exhibitor who's down here locally. And, and he concurs with me that, that for theaters, for specialized theaters, you know, dedicated art houses, the level of recovery is, you know, 40% at best uh, from what it was before. It wasn't huge numbers. I mean, this Uh, is why it's just, it seems to me like if you can take, I don't want to say the loss, but if you have an expendable budget and you can invest in these entities, you should make your films available. And that includes Netflix or, or, or Apple or anybody. I mean, at some point you're going to need the art house circuit somehow. So would it kill you to make your product available in these markets? I mean, it just, it just, I don't know. I mean, maybe a 24 has a larger plan to eventually expand more widely to all of these places uh, because it's doing so well, but it does feel like it's unfortunate. It's it's almost, it's almost like you, you'd like to see them. And, and, you know, Neon has done this to a little bit, a small extent, some extent, uh, not small. So they've made an effort. It's almost like a 24 needs a specialized unit. Huh. That, that yeah, it's it's sort of like go out and get small films with the fallback of knowing right. that you could you, you think it'd be nice to drive my car would be a template first. Yeah, well, uh, and look, they do have on some ways their own specialized side of things. When you look at that, when they do a Claire Denis film or something to that effect, or First Cow, these aren't films that you know are going to get the same sort of scale of yeah. a release as everything everywhere all at once. So that they're doing those on a smaller level. It's just, it just hasn't been formalized. Well, so, I mean, uh, they, they had souvenir uh, part two, which like one, yeah. totally dropped off the face of the earth. It was like, yeah, never got any attention at the end of the year and, and did no business. And I mean, it started off having, you don't, right. don't do part two in a specialized film. Right. That was just a, a big mistake, but uh, <laughs> uh, uh, it's a, uh, 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 but I mean, there, there are other things because I've, I've discussed with some distributors and the factors of this. Distributors care about peak per theater average. They they care about holdovers at existing theaters. And if you put the market with too many theaters, you know people, you know other theaters won't hold the film, and you're ending up with with a quick fall off. Uh, 
everything is, is, and I've heard some reports that older audiences and some of the theaters that have played the film have had, a, you know, what, what is that reaction to everything? And, and you want to get good word of mouth where it's going to be. Uh, one distributor in, in checking around yesterday said that, you know, and, and I'll give all credit to all these small independent theaters to get back, getting back up their, their feet. They care for their presentation and they care for their audience and they care for their programming. Uh, but in a lot of cases, they have not had the ability to upgrade their theaters technically to the yeah. level that, that the chains have in terms of what they do with presentation. And uh, I would assume everything is a film where, you want things to be modulated correctly. It's not, yeah. you know, it's just different from Coda. Coda you can play and, uh, you know, the degree of, 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 of state of the art in your theater isn't going to make right. it. It's not, a, it's not the same sort of complex audio visual experience. Yeah. yeah. As, as it were. So, yeah. so, I mean, that, that's a bit of a factor as well. People got to up their game on that front. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but, you know, but I mean, some of these companies, some of these, theaters are really good about that stuff too we just you know we don't interact with them on a regular basis and you're talking about a, a staff of maybe two to five people who on a regular basis have a real handcrafted approach to making sure they're getting it right it's yeah. just hard to to explain that to people when yeah. the major theater chains you know have something that's more reliable well there's um, no question if you do if you're you're in an area that has uh everything opening up this week and there's a chain theater and there's a specialized theaters playing it, uh, you know, vote with your, your feet, go to the theater that you want to make sure survives right. and right. don't just go see everything. Even if they aren't playing it, look at what they're playing and, you know, make an effort to go there. Don't go see everything. Literally go see everything else. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, see, them. see them both, but, uh, right. uh, uh, it's, 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 you know, the, 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 it, this is going to be a factor. I don't know what the future is going to be. I think it's, it is very precarious. Well, well, let's. Let, why don't we close by talking about um, somebody who who often struggled with these questions of what what is specialized theatrical really about, and and how to make it sustainable in a way that really does serve the art. Because I know you've been digging into these uh, memoirs from Dan Talbot, the great exhibitor of of Lincoln Plaza fame, and uh, I only knew him a little bit, but I know you had a a, a longstanding uh, history with him, right? Yeah, I mean, he was actually. He wasn't a mentor because I didn't interact with him necessarily on that level. I was in Chicago. He was in New York. And I, I got to know him more uh, from can interaction. We stayed at the same hotel there and, and saw each other a lot there. But, yeah. but Dan, Dan in the 60s uh, started uh, a repertory theater and uh, uh, that evolved eventually into a, a first-run specialized theater. And then also set up a distribution company. You know, he started off with uh, Bertolucci's uh, Before the Revolution that he had an advance of $5 for, uh, only because it's the only way he could get to play the film. And by the late 60s, when I was you know, an evolving cinephile, uh, uh, I was getting the New York Times, looking at their ads every day, and I was intrigued by these special programs he had, obscure films. He had an Osmanites and Bene film. Uh, he had Straub Fouillet films and directors I never heard of. Yeah. And I was curious, what is this? What is this different from, from, from even the normal, you know, uh, art house type films that were being advertised. And I, you know, when I college film programming and I was renting films from him, including some that were premieres in Chicago. So I really admired in his taste what they were distributing 
were with mine. Anyway, he died four years ago, uh, and yeah. his wife had previously written a book. A new book has just come out called In Love with Movies, uh, which based on writings that he did and, and plans for an autobiography memoirs edited by his wife. And, you know, the, the point of raising it here is that he, he makes the point early on that if you run a theater and have an opportunity, you have opportunities to be creative. That, you know, and I know from having been a film buyer uh, uh, that as, as talented as a lot of people are in that in the exhibition, you know, even though exhibition created movies, the studios, you know, came about because exhibitors set up companies to make movies because right. they needed that product. And that's a century ago that, yeah. that you know, a long time ago, uh, exhibitors gave up a role in really influencing what movies are made or what, what you know, they took what they were given, uh, which was the smart way to do it. Specialized offers the opportunity to be creative, to do your own thing, to, to you know, make some sort of an, an effort. Uh, the press is on your side, your local press, yeah. you still have critics. They want to do something different. They want to, they will elevate something uh, if, if, yeah. if their editors allow them to. It's like, and, it's like believing in the culture to, to have a sense of not just authenticity, but legitimacy in the industry. And you can build something that has business viability out of that culture, as opposed to trying to just find the thing that, you know, everyone's going to go to, you know, I was chair of New York film critic circle, the year that Dan died. And we hustled last minute to create a special kind of moment for him. And Michael Barker, the co-president of Sony uh, pictures classics gave a speech where he, he basically said at the end, you know, we all have an obligation to keep the Lincoln Plaza alive. Now it didn't so far that has not materialized, but I thought it, what, what was, what stuck with me about that was that even if, you know, you are at the mercy to some degree of distributors, you can also do things that make the distributors need you uh, in a very singular kind of way. Like that was a company that really relied on one particular theater in Manhattan because they were so good at keeping yeah. that audience engaged. Yeah. So. Yeah. It, it, it's complicated. I don't want to pretend that it's, it's easy and that there are any solutions, but I would, I, I think it's good to know history and to know, you know, people who came before and what they, yes. they thought of, because, you know, the Respect more things your elders, damn it. I mean, the, the, he did an amazing job with that theater. It wasn't my favorite theater physically to go to, but the programming, you can't discount how valuable that was for New yeah, York. And, and, and you America came after the era yeah. when he was really prime in distribution. Sure. It yeah. It was different. That, but, that, well, we felt it, you know, I mean, yeah. it was, it's like a, when you're of the generation where you're still like a New York cinephile who goes to theaters, you learn about the greats and this was one of the greats for sure. Well, Tom, it's been great having you on. We could go another hour and dig deeper into that history, but I'm going to have to bring you back once you've seen everything everywhere all at once, because I have a feeling this movie's going to be around a bit and it's always great to get your perspective on the movies themselves too. So I, I happy to be here. all right, Tom, well, thanks again for being here. Uh, enjoy the sun out in Palm Springs. I'm, I'm jealous here in New York, but uh, I'll see you on zoom soon enough. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm sure. Thank you again. Bye. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.